This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Mark Roderick. Thanks for being on the show, Mark. Thank you very much for having me, Whitney. Yeah, I'm excited to have Mark on the show. And Mark is a crowdfunding attorney who has represented entrepreneurs and their businesses successfully for more than 25 years. Represents companies across a wide range of industries, including the technology, real estate, and healthcare industries. He writes and lectures on the topics of raising money from investors, franchising laws, and business contracts. Mark, Thank you again for being on the show. I love having just experts, you know, on the show that just been in the industry for many years and it's very valuable to the listeners and to myself. But, you know, tell the listeners a little more about your background and and kind of what your focus is right now. Well, I have represented entrepreneurs for a long time, as your brief introduction said. I always joke, it's only half a joke. I started practicing law in 1840. And so (laughs) I've been representing entrepreneurs ever since. And, you know, in all the stuff that entrepreneurs do, and one of the things entrepreneurs do a lot of is try to raise capital, particularly, well, all entrepreneurs, but particularly real estate entrepreneurs. I always say that if you're speaking to a real estate guy and he's not looking for money, call 911 because he's probably not breathing. Because this is capitalism, after all, capital is the lifeblood of American business. So real estate in particular needs a lot of it, very capital intensive industry. So anyway, among lots of other stuff like buying and selling businesses, I have helped lots and lots of folks raise money since 1840. And that's why when the Jobs Act, which is what introduced crowdfunding, when the Jobs Act came on the horizon, I said, wow, this is transformative and disruptive and super cool. So that is going to be an exciting space. So these days, and about for the last five years or so, I spend all my time helping people raise money using one form of crowdfunding or another. And that basically means real estate syndication. And that, my friend, is the title of your show. Well, again, I appreciate your time and you're laying that out because you are definitely an expert and somebody we want to talk to. So as you and I discussed a little bit before the show, you know, I'd like to talk about is this is a big question in our industry. Every conference I go to, I get questions about this, of how other people in the industry are doing this. But it's how people raise capital for other syndicators and how they're compensated and how we do that legally. And so tons of things we could talk about, but I'd love for us to just dive into that a little bit and some things we need to know as either as we're raising capital for other investors, you know, how we do that legally and make sure they're doing it legally. But then when we become the operator, what that looks like as well. Sure. And you were kind enough to, in our little pre-recording conversation, ask me whether you could ask that question. And I said, absolutely, because it is, it's an important question. It's a question that Lots of clients ask me from both sides of the aisle, so to speak. And it's a super interesting question. I will warn you in advance that the answers are not very satisfactory. And you will understand what I mean. But the good news is that you and your listeners will know, at least at a high level, 
everything there is to know about the topic once I'm finished talking for the next few minutes. It's just, it's not going to leave you with a warm, satisfied feeling. And you'll see what I mean by this. So the first thing I'll do is tell, well, tell you and your listeners. So I maintain this blog and on my blog, I write stuff about legal issues, uh, trying to answer questions that my clients ask. So that question gets asked a lot. And not too long ago, within the last six months, I wrote a blog post on this topic called something like using finders in crowdfunding. So if anyone wants more information, they could look at that blog post, which is necessarily because it's written and well thought out, it's going to be perhaps more detailed and have more information than you're about to hear me speak. But anyway, I will do my best. So raising money for people and being paid for it. So the first part of the issue, can you raise money for other people? The answer is absolutely. Do your darndest. It's the second part that is legally difficult. How do you get paid? So let's just have a basic hypothetical. Let's say one of your buddies is raising $2 million to buy some multifamily project. And you know a few investors and who might contribute, you know, 500 of it. And you say to him, listen, I'm happy to bring these folks into the deal. Obviously, I want to be compensated for it in some ways. Okay, so this is the legal issue around that arrangement. The legal issue is broker-dealers. So in the securities laws, in particular under the Exchange Act of 1934, anybody who is acting as a broker or a dealer has to be registered as such with the SEC. And being registered as a broker-dealer is a big deal. It's not a little deal. It's a big deal. Of course, there are broker dealers out there, but you know, it's an expensive, time-consuming process to get licensed as a broker dealer. The reason that's relevant is that when you are helping your friend raise money, so when your friend is raising money from these investors, right, he's selling securities. Everyone in the syndication business understands that from a technical legal perspective, your friend is selling securities to people. And the definition of a broker in Section 15 of the Securities and Exchange Act is anybody who deals with securities for the account of another as part of a business. Okay. And of course, who are you thinking of? You're thinking of Morgan Stanley and other folks like that. But if you are compensated, even in that little transaction, by your friend for raising money to bring him investors, you are, or at least may be, acting as a broker. And if you are acting as a broker without being licensed as a broker, well, it's just like, you know, more commonplace. There are people called real estate brokers. You know, people go out and sell your house, they get a 6% commission. And if you just open your shingle one day and say, hey, I'll help you buy and sell houses, pay me a 6% commission, and you're not licensed as a real estate broker, you get in trouble. Well, the same is true, but at a higher level for acting as a securities broker without being licensed. And so if that happens, if you are acting as a broker, whether from ignorance or just because gosh darn it, I want to do this no matter what the law says. There are two possible consequences. 
One, which is what everyone thinks about, is very unlikely to happen, and that is the SEC knocks on your door and sends you to jail or does something to you. It's very unlikely to happen because the SEC has to devote most of its manpower these days to Elon Musk alone. (laughs) So the SEC has very limited manpower. It's probably not coming after Whitney Sewell on the basis of a you know, $2 million real estate transaction. So that is one thing that could happen, but is unlikely to happen. The thing that is more likely to happen is this. You bring your friends in, your buddy pays you, let's say he pays you a 5% commission for bringing in this $500,000. You take away $25,000, perfect. The deal goes south. One of those investors who didn't need to be one of your guys, but any of the investors in the deal gets wind of what happens and happens to have a brother-in-law who is at a cocktail party one day and speaks with someone like me and describes the situation. And I say, well, that's interesting because, you know, if they used an unlicensed broker in that transaction, then that was an illegal offering and everybody has the right to get their money back. And the brother-in-law's ears perk up. And before you know it, someone's filing a lawsuit against you, the unlicensed broker, and your buddy, the guy who used an unlicensed broker. And everyone is really unhappy. And you're very sorry you took that $25,000. So that is, in a big picture, what the law is and what can go wrong. Now, the primary reason that all this is very unsatisfying, is that these transactions, as you personally know, and as everyone in the real estate industry know, these transactions happen all the time. They happen every day. Lots of private real estate deals are funded in this way with compensation going back and forth, and nothing ever happens. It is a funny and unsatisfying situation that the SEC knows this is going on. It every now and again announces to no particular purpose that it knows it's going on and doesn't like it and shakes its finger like this and says, there will be dire consequences if you continue to do this, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't bring any enforcement actions. And so the industry just toils on with all these finders out there taking commissions and lawyers like me pontificating, you can't do that, and nothing happens. The shoe never drops. So it can be very frustrating. It's certainly frustrating for me. I mean, I hear from people all the time, you know, my client will be approached by somebody, by an unlicensed person. They'll say, hey, we we got a million dollars, pay us 5%. I say, are you a broker? They say, what's that? (laughs) I say, well, you know, you're supposed to be a broker. And they say, and I'm sure they're telling the truth, Mark, we've been doing this like this for 25 years, and you're the first person who's ever raised this question with us. And that's very frustrating for my client when I'm telling, whispering my clients here, you can't do this. And the client's looking around and saying, well, everybody does this. Okay, so it's unsatisfying for that reason. Now let me move to the next level. It is possible in some situations to construct an arrangement that is legal. And 
let me give you two examples of arrangements that are legal. The first, a promote. In general, and the, I hope the lawyers listening to your show don't jump up and down and scream, but in general, because this is a very gray area, you could take a promote for bringing people into the deal. Okay, so let's say your, your buddy is taking a 30% promote, typical promote. And he says to you, listen, if you bring in $500,000, I will give you 5% of my promote, you know, something like whatever it is, 5%, 10%. In general, and don't ask me really to explain why, because I couldn't, because there is no why, is that would probably be okay. A promote on the one hand is okay. Immediate cash commission on the other hand is not okay. Okay, so that's that's one pretty legal thing you can do. The other thing you can do is there are such things as a legal finders agreement. So for example, if you've never done this before, okay, you're not in this business, this is not how you make your income generally, but you're talking to your buddy, he says, I have this multifamily thing, do you know anybody? And you say, you know what? I do know somebody. I went to college with so-and-so and he's made a trillion dollars selling some pharmaceutical company or something like that. I'll introduce you to him. Just introduce you. And if he makes an investment, you pay me. If that is done properly and your role is limited to a kind of one-time introduction. You don't try to sell the deal. You don't make an investor presentation to your buddies. You're just making it an introduction. That arrangement can be legal. Our guest is Robert Bohr. Thanks for being on the show, Robert. Thanks, Whitney. Robert is a licensed real estate and securities attorney in Florida. His practice focuses on real estate matters, including syndication to litigation. Is also a licensed real estate school instructor, real estate broker, and title insurance agent. He educates his clients to provide a traditional in-house counsel role to those who do not need a full-time attorney on staff. Well, Robert, thanks again for being on the show today, and I'm really looking forward to us just getting into the matter of the you know securities and what that is and what people need to know about all that when they're getting into the syndication business. But before we do that, tell the listeners a little bit about just who you are and how you got into this business. Well, thanks, Whitney. I'm kind of a quintessential real estate nerd. You heard all the licenses that I've gotten and instructing and things like that. And that's actually how I fell into, into the syndication. I was auditing an investments class for a post-license continuing education course. And it just so happened that there was a prominent syndication lawyer who was moving over to Florida in the classroom there. And we were working in the back together and going through the workbook on some of the problems. And she looked over and she said, wow, you know, you might make a really good securities attorney. And I said, well, what do I get a gun? What is that? And she started to explain her business to me and the part that she did in real estate. And it was fascinating to me because I'd seen these investment models before. I'd seen a lot of things done wrong, things that are called joint ventures or things that are call it what you will, but they end up being securities. It's an interesting niche area of law because once I got into it and I started doing contract work with her firm, I came to find that there were a lot of cases where it falls into the definition of a security and 
attorneys don't know that even investors don't know that. And especially in these local RIAs, you know, they're selling a joint venture packet. Let me show you how to use my form to raise private money. And I'd go sit in these seminars as they are and cringe when I'd see things go up on the screen and, you know, ever so politely try to talk to the presenter afterwards and say, Hey, you might want to check out this book, or you might want to get a little bit more education because I don't think what you're doing is necessarily on the up and up. And that's, sort of been the story of me walking through the securities because I, I don't just set up funds, as you mentioned in the bio that I sent over. I have a lot of funds that I'm actually kind of quasi-general counsel for. And what I've found is that sometimes they'll get set up and the people set them up say, okay, you're good. And they'll provide some support, but it's not really their focus at a boutique firm that just does syndication startup to necessarily provide the different support and different aspects in real estate, which the background that I have in real estate has been very helpful in making sure that we put the right risks in or different risks in that somebody might not think about. And I have a good idea of the numbers when I'm looking at somebody's investment. I can say, okay, these numbers work or they don't work. It's obviously not my job to give them business advice, but I'm not going to put somebody in a situation where they're going to where they're going to fail or I think they're going to fail. I appreciate that. It's helpful that you understand the numbers that you understand, you know, the the investing side of it and what that should look like at least to help give some advice, you know, from your experience, but you mentioned that you've seen something on the screen or are you seen things like that at conferences that would make you, you know, just cringe and I wonder, you know, can you give us an, an example? Well, yeah, I've seen it more on the local level than I have at one of the, the major player conferences that you would go to that, you know, that's actually focused on syndication. But d- typically in these local RIAs, I'll see somebody stand up and they'll call themselves a transaction engineer and you need to go find private equity. And I've got a whole form of packets and joint venture agreements and notes that you can use. And, you know, I look at these things and I go, Oh my gosh, is this all you're giving to your investor? And, you know, I always hear the phrase other people's money. Let me show you how to use other people's money. Well, those are investor funds. That's what other people's money is. And investor funds is a security. And, you know, ignorance of the law is no defense. And there's a lot of cases that I've been pulled on as litigation counsel where I've looked through. And it'll be a series of notes that someone will have given to a certain individual to work through. And I go, well, you guys realize this is a securities violation, right? This isn't just you trying to recover on a note. The lawyers look at me and they go, what is that? And I go, chapter 517. Point three oh two. It's a felony, actually, what they did. They can go to jail for this, and we can push them in that direction by properly amending the complaint and bringing it that way. So I think it's very important for people to know what they're doing to educate themselves and understand and, and comply because, I mean, even the investor, or excuse me, the investigators here in the state of Florida, I mean, I work with them. I try to get them educated and make sure that they know where to look and what to look for and file administrative complaints. I've done a handful of those. And yeah, I would say that it's definitely something that has that has pretty huge ramifications if you don't do it right. And I would always, always suggest people go, you know, I think you have everybody on your show that I've listened to in preparation for this. They're, they're great. They have great information. And don't try to skirt the rules. Don't try to come up with something clever that you think, oh, <laughs> there's not a comma here, so I'm going to be able to do it this way. I mean, the, the definition of sale, I think it's four pages long, the federal law. It's multiple slides. And when I give a presentation on securities, I inevitably have a lot of upset people 
by the end of the presentation because they go, well, what do you mean? I, I thought I just would get, and I'll quote a person who said, I just get a boot full of money from my partner and his friends. And then I just bring them a, a bigger boot full of money. And I thought well, a boot full of money. That's, that's, that's an interesting term, but I'm looking at that going, there's no, no, <laughs> that's wrong. Just make sure you comply. There's different exemptions. There's ways to do it the right way and realize that when you're raising, whether it be a quarter of a million dollars or $10 million that, that you need to comply. It's important. And you can get into trouble with this. Your bio mentioned that you provide a traditional in-house counsel role to those who do not need a full-time attorney on staff. You know, and we talked about just like those that are getting started in the syndication business. And, you know, I just thought, can you elaborate on maybe some of the common issues that people have when they're first getting started in the syndication business and help us to be ready to overcome those hurdles? Well, there's a difference there. There's one when you're, when you're starting up and then there's another when you're ongoing. And so... To be able to continue with the ongoing support, at least in the state of Florida, because this is where I'm licensed, I can consult on any type of real estate issue. And I typically work with pretty smart people and they don't need to have an attorney sitting next to them and ask them every single question that they need. And once I can train them a little bit to issue spot on different areas, whether it be in multifamily, you're going to have different strategies when it comes to non-paying tenants, maybe different types of insurance claim issues that occur. So those types of things once I kind of bring them up to speed and they know and they know how to issue spot, really, it becomes an easy phone call. You know, it becomes a 15-minute, hey, let me run this by you. Is this something that you need to look at? And many times it's not, but they know when something could be a problem. And it's, it's refreshing to have clients that way because what you don't want is somebody who you can't communicate with or that you're afraid to communicate with. Oh, I don't want him to send me a huge bill or I don't want him to ruin my day by telling me that what I'm doing is wrong or, or this is a bad idea or it's illegal or something like that. I hear people refer to some syndication attorneys as no men or yes men or women, you know, and so we don't want somebody that's just yes all the time either. Right. That's very true. And I've worked with, I would say, other uh, looser legal compliance officers, not always attorneys, and, and their answer to everything is yes, yeah, sure, we can put that there. Yeah, sure, we can put that there. And then they want to know specifically why they can't. And, you know, as if the burden is back on me. And some of these times, I just simply say to them, well, if you were in court, and you were trying to explain this provision, and you were trying to explain this situation to a judge, a jury, even to opposing counsel, how do you expect that you know, this gobbledygook is going to make any sense? Because you're really off far into the weeds at this point. And just having a fresh look on the thing is important. And that's why we're paying somebody like yourself to help represent us as well if something happens, right? Well, well absolutely. And, you know, I hope to never have to go to court. Right. That's my idea. Me too. Yeah, keep them out of court. You, you don't need to be there. And that's the interesting part. When I turned around and I started doing uh, review work, for people that were going to invest in syndications. And I would start looking through other people's PPMs and offering documents. It's a whole different perspective as somebody who started by drafting and I'm strictly complying with what the law needs to be to now I'm looking at other people not strictly complying. It's kind of the difference maybe between being a plaintiff and a defendant sometimes. And I go, well, I look these guys up on the federal government. They're registered. I see that they have something here. But the problem is, is that they're using an exemption that doesn't exist. Anymore. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they've got an attorney. Okay. Well, tell them that I'd like to talk to their attorney or ask them. And what I came to find out is that there were companies that were using old forms 
and they were just rehashing the forms. And in 2014, when the laws all changed, there were still pre 2014 forms out there and they're passing it on to their investors saying, no, my attorneys reviewed all this. Well, yeah, maybe he did at some point, but not anytime recently. Right. And that's interesting. You bring this up because I haven't had anyone talk about that as far as reviewing documents for the LP or, you know, the passive investor when they're ready to go into a deal, taking that PPM to somebody, a private placement memorandum to somebody like yourself and saying, you know, could you review this instead of just taking that sponsor's word for it? Could you just elaborate on that process a little bit for that passive investor that's listening that says, well, you know, wait a minute, you know, I didn't even think about taking, you know, those documents to somebody like yourself, to an attorney and, you know, and saying, you know, is this accurate, you know, or can I take their word for it? Is it what it should be? I will say it's, it's interesting because the, they run the gamut. I mean, I've gotten 400 page PPMs that are in archaic English that don't make a lot of sense. And a lot of those times, you know, I'll set a limit because I'm not going to just tell my client, I mean, this is all by the hour work because that there's no other fair way to do it. And I'll normally say, look, in this many hours, I know I can tell you whether or not this is pretty much legit or they're not. Sometimes I've called and talked to people and sometimes it scares them away. As soon as they say, hey, my attorney would like to give you a ring. All of a sudden that person stops turning their phone calls and stops checking their email and and they kind of disappear. And for, I would say, a nominal fee compared to the investment that is normally being asked for, it's a good, good security blanket. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 